Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. I do want to encourage you to get your Great Detectives of Old Time Radio t-shirt. Uh, we have three different designs available. If you go to t-shirt.greatdetectives.net, you can get our classic Great Detectives of Old Time Radio t-shirt. If you go to yours truly.greatdetectives.net, you can get our uh, anniversary t-shirt for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And if you go to friday.greatdetectives.net, you can get our Joe Friday Never Said Just the Facts Ma'am t-shirt. That's over at friday.greatdetectives.net. They come in a wide variety of colors and styles. Or, as I said in a previous uh, take, when I mentally combine uh, style and colors, they come in a variety of stolers. That style and colors, but whichever works for you. Check out the t-shirts. Uh, let's go ahead and get into today's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, August 4th of 1953, and this one is The Voodoo Matter. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment, John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Nelson Price, Johnny. Oh, yes. How are you, Mr. Price? Fine. Got a job for you. You'll have to go to the West Indies. The West Indies? Near Haiti, St. Ledger. Mr. Claude Sheldon holds a big policy with us. We insure him, his wife, and his farm. They've had a lot of trouble. It's going to cost us a lot of money, and we think an investigation is necessary. Come on down to the office, and I'll give you as much as I've got, Johnny. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you John Lund in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. For refreshing taste, plus chewing enjoyment, treat yourself to delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. When your mouth and throat feel hot and dry, a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint gives you quick, long-lasting refreshment. The lively, full-bodied Spearmint flavor cools your mouth and freshens your taste. The chewing itself helps keep your throat pleasantly moist. Best of all, you can chew and enjoy refreshing Wrigley's Spearmint Gum almost any time and any place. Keep a package handy right in your purse or pocket so you can chew a stick whenever you want it. For refreshing taste, plus chewing enjoyment, treat yourself to delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Millions enjoy it, and you will too. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office International Insurance and Bonding Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the voodoo matter. Expense account item one, $206.40. Plane fare and incidentals from New York to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. After receiving from you the necessary information concerning the insured, Claude Sheldon. After landing, I checked into the hotel and waited for Claude Sheldon as prearranged. I waited for about an hour. Come in. 
Mr. Dollar? That's right. Mr. Sheldon? Yes. I've been expecting you. Claude Sheldon pushed himself away from the door, grabbed a chair and dropped into it, took in long, deep breaths and smiled a very slow, weak smile. I would have been here sooner, but there's been more trouble. More trouble, eh? Well, my company told me a little about it, but you better give me your own story. Certainly. As you know, I am a farmer. Yeah. My place is near Saint-Léger. A number of other farms in the vicinity, all doing very well until several months ago. First, it was fires. The cane fields burned. One by one, the cattle became sick. Then some of the farmers grew ill and died. <laughs> Can I get you something? Please. Some water, please. <laughs> Have you been to see a doctor? I'm afraid a doctor can't help. There you are. Thank you. <laughs> Have you any idea what's wrong with you? Yes and no. My Christian religion fights it, but my life on Haiti has taught me deep respect for it. Respect for what, Mr. Sheldon? Voodoo, Mr. Dollar. Oh, I know just what you're thinking. But a doctor in Haiti has examined me and my wife and the others. He can find nothing wrong. Voodoo, Mr. Sheldon? Oh, I don't expect you to understand. It's hard for me. Perhaps there is something else. I hope you can find out. Well, I'm afraid I can't buy the voodoo theory, Mr. Sheldon. There is one thing. Immediately after my wife and I became ill, I received an offer from my farm. A very low offer from a Saint-Léger banker. I investigated and found it had been made in the interests of one Arthur Cotswold. Arthur Cotswold. Aiti's biggest planter. Extremely wealthy. Even after the sick cattle and the fires and everything? Yes. That's why I became suspicious. The other farmers <coughs> received similar offers. More water? <laughs> Perhaps I... I don't think I... <gasps> Mr. Dollar. Mr. Sheldon. <laughs> I called the hotel desk for a doctor, but by the time he'd gotten Sheldon to the hospital, the patient was dead. The authorities were called in and I was questioned. A preliminary examination was made on the dead man, but the cause of death remained a mystery. So an autopsy was ordered. I told the chief of police to forward the report to me as Saint-Léger and left for the Sheldon farm. Expense account item two, $5 American for a beaten-up taxi to take me ten miles into the country. A crowd of natives was standing in front of the Sheldon house as we drove up. I didn't know what it was. No one said a word. But something was wrong. I could feel it. I walked through the crowd and up to the house and stopped cold as the door opened. Who are you? I'd never seen anything like him. A native who was a good seven feet tall and must have weighed at least 300. Me, Bimba. Who are you? Me, John. I mean, uh, I'm Johnny Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. You 
from the United States? Yeah. I'm supposed to investigate the trouble here. Me know. Master Shelton, tell me. I uh, saw Master Sheldon about an hour ago. He did. How the... How do you know he died? You come in house. All right. What are all those people doing out there? They're friends. Madame, she died too. Bimba led the way into the bedroom, where Mrs. Sheldon lay on the bed covered with a fresh white sheet, her eyes closed in death, her face drawn and tired. Bimba told me that she died about an hour before, and a cold chill ran up my back. I remembered her husband lying on the floor of my hotel room about an hour before. Bad voodoo. Is that why the cattle are sick and the fields burned? We oui, bad voodoo. Mr. Sheldon thought a man named Cotswold might have something to do with it. Mr. Cotswold, big man, very powerful. What are those drums? For madame and master. The voodoo, good voodoo, give blessing for spirit for madame and master. I see. I want to talk to the police in Saint-Léger. Who do I see? Me take you. Right then, I inherited Bimba, and if there was going to be any trouble, the giant servant would certainly help to make up for any lack on my part. The first thing I wanted to do was to contact the authorities in Saint-Léger, and Bimba told me my man was Inspector Georges. Bimba saddled up two horses from the barn, and together we rode back to Saint-Léger. Bimba pointed out the inspector's office and waited in front while I went in. Ah, uh, oui, Monsieur Dollard. The Sheldons were a very fine family. I knew them very well. How did everybody know they were dead? On Haiti, things of such nature are never a secret. The natives know. Voodoo? Being a stranger to Haiti, Monsieur Dollar, I expect you to be a skeptic. But you're not? Let us say I've been in Haiti too long to be one, huh? Hmm. You know a man named Cotswold? I would suggest you forget Monsieur Cotswold. Why? Monsieur Cotswold is a very prominent man. Yes, yeah, so I've heard. He's the largest plantation owner in the West Indies, a self-made man with a considerable temper. I'll mention it in my report to my office. Eh bien, as you wish. But Monsieur Cotswold is looked upon by the people of Saint-Léger with a great deal of respect. It is my opinion that you should avoid him. First, because I am certain he will not be in sympathy with your motives, and second, because the opposition you will encounter will be far-reaching and much too difficult for you to handle. What if I come up with something incriminating? Oh, for your sake, I hope you do not. Oh. What do you do here in Saint-Léger, Inspector? I am the law, Monsieur Dollar. But uh, you wouldn't like it if this Cotswold were guilty of breaching that law? If Monsieur Cotswold has broken the law, it would certainly be my duty to arrest him. But I am not considering the arrest, nor the necessary steps that would have to be taken to prove the guilt. Dangerous steps, Monsieur Dollar. One might trip on those steps. And break his neck. For ten years I have been the law. If tomorrow Cotswold decided it was time for me to relinquish my position, I should probably retire. So you prefer the middle of the road, eh? <laughs> it is much easier to see what is ahead. You can always get run down from behind. Uh -huh. I do as much as I can to prevent that possibility. No, again, 
My suggestion that you forget Monsieur Cotswold. I left the philosophical inspector and went back to Bimba, still sitting outside on his horse. Every time I looked at him, it was like a little kid spotting the Empire State Building for the first time. He smiled a mouthful of white teeth and leaned over to give me a hand up. He caught me by the wrist and lifted me into my saddle as though he was hoisting a small bundle of laundry. The inspector. He say forget Mr. Cotswold. What? Bimba. Oui, monsieur. Oh, forget it. What do you think I should do? Me think you do what you want. And you know what I want. Oui. You want to go see Mr. Cotswold. The inspector says I shouldn't. You go anyway. You think it's a mistake? If you're afraid. But you're not. You're not strong like Bimba, but you're a good fighter. I don't like to fight, Bimba. Bimba know that. We go see Mr. Cotswold. We swung our horses around and Bimba led the way up a long, narrow road, surrounded on both sides by sugarcane fields. Somewhere, from not too far away, I heard the drums start again. Bimba straightened in his saddle and looked off to the north. He began moving his shoulders, slowly keeping time to the steady rhythm of the drums. Then he began to sing softly. What does that mean, Bimba? It means in your language, it is our Papa who passes. Papa? Papa Dambala, the great source. Voodoo. We. Oui. I later must leave you. Today, Wednesday, is the day of Papa Dambala. He turned back to the north and continued his little chant until we reached the beginning of a long high fence, running along next to the narrow road. Bimba leaned down and swung open a big gate. Then we rode up the path that led through the Cotswold property until we reached the house. Sitting back between two huge trees was the Cotswold mansion. Bimba stayed on his horse, and I climbed down and walked to the front door. Mr. Dalla, watch out for Mr. Jocelyn. He guard Mr. Cotswold. Thanks. What do you want? I'd like to see Mr. Cotswold. You do, huh? What are you doing here, Bimba? I wait for Mr. Found himself a new governor, huh? You must be that dollar fella. I must be. Well, come in. Mr. Cotswold's been expecting you. Jocelyn wasn't a very small man himself. Looked as though he was capable of handling just about any situation that might come up. He led the way into a large paneled study, and I met Arthur Cotswold. The drums had stopped. I know why you're here, Mr. Dollar. Well, then that should make it a lot easier for both of us. For some reason, the farmers are suspicious. Their fear is divided between me and voodoo. Sheldon convinced some that I might be responsible. And of course you're not. Of course. Sheldon thought you might want to get control of the other farms in Saint-Léger. I simply tried to help them. 
With their cattle sick and their crops gone, I had my banker make them an offer. What would you want with sick cattle? I could use the land. You think the cattle will get better and the crops won't fail if you control the land? I intend to do away with the sick cattle. I have no use for the crops. Hmm. Have uh, any of your cattle been affected? None. That's pretty strange. Haiti is a strange land. And on this point, I would most certainly give you advice. Go home, Mr. Dollar. Leave well enough alone. Well enough is pretty bad, the way I see it, Mr. Cotswold. And I'll leave after I've gotten a few answers. Mr. Dollar, I am not a patient man. I've gone out of my way to give you some healthy advice. Heed it, for your sake. I won't forget it for a minute. You persist in this investigation? I get paid to persist, Mr. Cotswold. Friends, you know Wrigley's Spearmint Gum is a delicious treat that millions enjoy all year round. It's good to chew almost any time and any place. In warm weather, you'll enjoy especially the refreshment that Wrigley's Spearmint Gum gives you. When your mouth feels hot and dry, or when you're feeling warm and tired, chewing Wrigley's Spearmint gives you a pleasant little lift. It cools your mouth, moistens your throat, and refreshes your taste. Besides, chewing on a good smooth piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum seems to add enjoyment to whatever else you're doing. So enjoy it at home, at work, wherever you are. And remember, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum is a swell treat to take along on picnics. Get plenty for everybody. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. And now, with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I left Arthur Cotswold, picked up Bimba, and he led me back to town. On the way, I got an idea. When we arrived in town, I sent Bimba back to the Sheldon farm. Then I went in to talk to Inspector Georges. The inspector had received a wire from the authorities in Port-au-Prince concerning the autopsy on Sheldon. I had no idea the authorities in Port-au-Prince were interested in this affair. Oh. May I see that? Oh, Miss Artenemont. Oh. Oh, wow. Here's something pretty interesting, Inspector. Mr. Sheldon died of a disease known as brucellosis, commonly known in cattle as Bang's disease. I read the account. Ever heard of brucellosis, Inspector? <laughs> I'm not a medical man, Monsieur Dollar. Undulant fever. Sheldon and his wife probably caught it from their sick cattle. Well, yeah, then you have solved the mystery. No, no, not quite. I want to find out why all the cattle belonging to the small farmers got sick and not the ones belonging to Mr. Cotswold. What do you intend to do? I think those cattle were infected and the cane fields burned deliberately. If the cattle were infected, there might be some of the brucellosis still around, and I'm going to find it. And uh, I think you'd better issue a search warrant and come with me. Ah, no, Monsieur Dollar, the middle of the road, remember? I think you'd better start modifying your policy, Inspector. Unless you want me to get in touch with Porto Prince huh? and... Ask that you be held as a material witness in a murder case. 
I will issue the warrant. I uh, kind of thought you would. Louis, I will issue it, but you certainly don't think it will be able enough to get you into that house. No, but it'll make it legal. I sent Bimba back to collect some of his friends. They're going to help us get into that house, Inspector. Oh, no, I will take no part in violence. They won't even be with us. It'll be easy to search the Cotswold place if Cotswold was out fighting a fire. A fire? Oh, just a harmless fire. But far enough away so that Cotswold will think it's his cane fields. Oh, well, I don't agree with such methods, Monsieur Dollar, but uh, as long as it's a harmless fire, I will issue the warrant. Well, welcome back to the gutter, Inspector. The view isn't much, but you can't miss where you're going. When we reached the Sheldon farm, we saw a crowd of natives standing out in front. Again, something was wrong. We piled out, pushed our way through the crowd, and inside the house we found what it was. Lying in the middle of the room was Bimba. He was almost dead when I knelt beside him. I... I talk to friends. They light fire for you. Thanks. Now I go to Baron Samter. Dambalo Wedo take me. You have been stabbed? Yeah. Got him from behind. Never would have faced him. You stay. You see, wait till Lena tete your mort. See what? It's a ritual. It means taking the spirit from the head of the dead. He wants you to see it. You stay. You believe voodoo. All right, Bimba. I'll stay. You see. Believe. Bimba. No, 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 no. He is dead. The next few hours I'll never forget. The natives came into the house and placed Bimba on a bench. Then the ceremony began. They carried live pigeons, olive oil, 30 pieces of fat pine wood, a pair of chickens, and some coarse cornmeal. They covered Bimba's body with a saddle blanket, killed the chickens, roasted the cornmeal, and put it in a large white plate. The pine wood slivers were lighted and held like candles. Then a man they called Donay took the white plate in one hand and the pot with the chicken in the other and approached the fire, chanting a strange dirge. Then as Donay finished the last line of the chant, the body of Mimba sat straight up with straining eyes, bowed its head, and fell back. The inspector and I drove over to Cotswold's house and waited while the moon climbed up over the clouds and the drums in the distance tangled my nerves into knots. After an hour of waiting, a dull glow to the south started the expected commotion in the Cotswold household, and we climbed out of the car. Oh, Mr. Cotswold! The time for you! Get the servants! Get the servants! Get every man out there to fight that fire! Hey! It worked. Yeah. Give him a few minutes, and we'll go into the house. Now. Now. The inspector and I took the Cotswold house apart like a well-trained wrecking crew and came up with... 
Exactly nothing. <sighs> well, Monsieur Dolan. Isn't there a barn out back? Oui. Then let's go. The drums were louder now, and the dull glow of the fire had nearly vanished. The inspector took one end of the barn, and I took the other. We worked toward each other. And just about the time I was ready to give the whole thing up... Monsieur Dolan. You find something? This. Huh. A hypodermic for cattle. That's not enough. And this, I found it under that box. A bottle. Might not be anything. Ah, but we could take it back to town and have it analyzed. Well, that's about all we can do. This is the only thing we've got. Let's go. I'm afraid not. Stand right where you are. Hello, Mr. Cotswold. You know the inspector, don't you? For a number of years. I must say I didn't expect this of him. I have a search warrant, Monsieur Cotswold. Oh, very interesting. See if they have any weapons, Johnson. Right. I assure you we are well within our rights. This warrant is... Shut up and raise your hands. Better do as he says. A commendable suggestion, Mr. Dollar. But I'm afraid you've learned prudence a little too late. I never argue with a gun. They both got guns, Mr. Cotswold. You're making a serious mistake. I'm afraid the mistake is yours and Mr. Dollar's, Inspector. Get the bottle and the hypodermic. Yes, sir. Is that the stuff you've been infecting the cattle with? It is. You say you really should have taken my advice and returned to the States. And I'm surprised at you, Inspector. I really thought you were more sensible. Sometimes a man finds his pride and does the best thing. <laughs> and this is the best thing. Perhaps it sounds foolish, but I think it is. You know, of course, that I cannot allow either of you to live. Tell me something. Who killed Bimber? I think Jocelyn can answer that. But enough conversation. I'll leave the details in your hands. Yes, sir. Goodbye, gentlemen. All right, start walking. Jocelyn, you won't... Shut up. Now do what I tell you and start walking. Huh? The drums have stopped. Just keep moving right out the gate. What about the drums? What does it mean? I don't know. Mr. Mr. Coswell! All right, Buffy, you start running for that house. Go on. We ran into the house with Jocelyn right behind us. He ordered us to go ahead of him and into the dark study. And that's where we found Cotswold, stretched out on the floor, his dead eyes staring up at us, his mouth open in a soundless scream. His neck had been broken. Ah, mon Dieu. Huh? Who's here? Monsieur Dollar. Who is it? Who's in this room? No! No! Get away! Get away from me! You're dead! You won't believe it, and to this day I'm still not sure. But there in the darkness was a huge man. And he looked exactly like Bimba. Jocelyn shot him six times, and he kept right on coming. Then he grabbed Jocelyn and crushed him like an eggshell. By the time we'd collected our wits, the giant had disappeared through the door and into the night. Monsieur Dollar. I think I'll sit down. Was it... Was it Bimba? I don't know. I don't want to know anything. I just want to get on the first plane back to the States and relax for a week in a tub of hot mud.
Well, there it is. It certainly looked like Bimba. If you're inclined to believe in voodoo, perhaps it was. I talked to some of the natives before I left, and it didn't seem unusual to them. Cotswold was a bad man, and Bimba had come back from the dead to avenge his people. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling it to you just the way I saw it. Or am I? Well, anyway, it's the inspector's problem. Expense account items three and four, $250. Hotel bill, plane fare, and incidentals back to Hartford. Expense account total, $461.40. If you want any more information, you can contact me at the Greenbrier Rest Home. I'll be the third mud pie from the left. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, friends, for refreshing taste plus chewing enjoyment, treat yourself to delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. The taste of fresh spearmint is cooling and delightful, and there's lots of it in every stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. It freshens your mouth, helps keep your throat moist, and sweetens your breath besides. You'll enjoy the good chewing, too, because Wrigley's Spearmint is so smooth and pleasant to chew on. There's nothing else quite like it. Next time you're at the store, stop at your friendly merchant's display of chewing gum and get a few packages of good-tasting Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Always keep some handy for refreshing taste plus chewing enjoyment. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Blake Edwards with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in today's cast were Tudor Owen, Parley Bear, Roy Glenn, Ben Wright, Bill Conrad, and Jester Hairston. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs> The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. This is Charles Lyon inviting you to join us again next week at this same time when from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is the CBS Radio Network. Welcome back. Haiti is one of those locations where there was a definite fascination with it. And generally, if you have a story set in Haiti, you'd have uh, a story with voodoo. So you could also do the voodoo story and set it in Louisiana if you wanted to save on the international fair. If you recognize the voice of Bimba, that was none other than Jester Hairston. Hairston had a fantastic long uh, career in entertainment. For old-time radio fans, he's probably best remembered as King Moses 
in Bold Venture. But his music is probably more legendary than his acting. He did a lot of uh, arrangements, particularly of spirituals. He composed more than 300 of his own and was really a goodwill ambassador for music. Uh, he also appeared on the Amos and Andy uh, TV show and in Amen as Raleigh Forbes. So an incredible talent. Now on to listener comments and feedback. And over on Podbean, we have a comment from Crow Geo, who writes, On the Black Doll Johnny Dollar episode, I can't figure out why the insurance company sent Johnny in the first place. The beneficiaries weren't ever suspected. What did I miss? Well, thanks so much for the comment, and I think it's a, fa- it's a fair one. Now, certainly the insurance company might have some sort of interest in uh, in investigation when they're going to make a payment uh, just to ensure that in terms of the death and how it happened that it cross that it crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. Was it suicide? Was the death something or from some cause? that was excluded under the policy. So the insurance company would have an interest in the investigation, as far as that goes. If the murder was not committed by the beneficiary, and it's clear that that didn't happen, does the insurance company have an interest in who done it? No. Now, I suppose you could make a case for Johnny to pursue the case as far as possible uh, until the police reach a conclusion or abandon the investigation, one, to make double and triple sure that the beneficiary wasn't uh, connected to it. It would be a huge shame for the insurance company to pay out a policy only to find out that the beneficiary did a murder for hire and they've skedaddled with the money. Though that's is such a remote possibility in that particular case, that logic is kind of dubious. I think what sometimes happens is that writers honestly forget the insurance angle. They want to tell their mystery story. And some writers, and I think Blake Edwards definitely falls into this category, forgets the insurance company really needs to have a strong motive to have an investigator looking into it as hard as Johnny is going to do. Because in real life, the insurance company, a lot of these cases would say, okay, well, this was not really necessary or part of your job. We're not going to pay the expenses after this particular day and we're not going to pay you commission for this this additional time that you spent out there on this investigation. And I think the same thing could be said for the voodoo matter. Um, once the insured is dead and the beneficiary is not at all uh, a suspect in this, Johnny's interest and the insurance company's interest really does seem to uh, cease unless there are other farms that the insurance company insures, which I don't think we're ever told in this. Now, I suppose you could make up an explanation that 
uh, he wants to solve uh, cases once he gets involved. And that Johnny is so in demand as an insurance investigator that the companies just kind of let him exceed what their interest is to keep him happy and uh, be able to engage him next time they need an investigator. Of course, if that were the case, it would just be easier for the insurance company to call another investigator when one of these cases like the Black Doll matter comes up where it doesn't look like the company has an interest. And again, this is me kind of shooting from the hip, imagining what the insurance company's interest might be. Now, if someone out there has some insight that's where the insurance company would, for whatever reason, continue beyond the question of whether the claim should be paid or not, I would love to hear. Because then we can understand better. And then we have an email here from Hannah. Hannah writes, I just wanted to uh, take a minute to thank you for the work you do on your show. My husband and I listen to your shows before we go to bed, as well as on our drive to work and sometimes when we are having a cocktail. Our favorites are Johnny Dollar, Jeff Regan, and Casey Crime Photographer. We love the insight and sincere joy you bring to the episodes. We also appreciate the quality. We really have come to rely on your show, your insights, and you as part of our wind-down routine. When so much in the world is chaotic, it is so nice to have something that is constant and positive. I'd really appreciate if you'd give a shout out to my husband, Peter. He would be thrilled with that. Uh, thanks for all you do and love to your family, Hannah. Well, thank you for that lovely note, Hannah. And Peter, uh, thank you for listening as well. I appreciate it and so glad to be uh, part of your routines. And then we have a question from uh, Derek, or a couple of questions. This is an interesting one. Uh, and uh, questions are, if you committed a crime, which detective would you not want to be on your tail? Like, who would be most likely to catch you? And uh, which detective do you think would uh, be the easiest to uh, 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 to be able to get away uh, from them and them not catch you. Okay, and he lists the number of options, you know, Brad Runyon, uh, Casey, Johnny Dollar, Jeff Regan, Ken Thurston, uh, Texas Rangers, The Thin Man, Joe Friday, Nero Wolf, uh, Philo Vance, etc. Well, I'm going to take advantage of that, etc. Um, I should say that I would be a very bad uh, criminal. You know, I just really don't have the uh, skills. You know, it's not something that bothers me, but I know I would get uh, busted by pretty much anybody. I mean, if under etc., you put Barney Fife, yeah, Barney Fife would get me. Yeah, Barney Fife, uh, you know, it would. he would take a look at my criminal uh, career and he'd be determined and he'd nip it in the bud. Uh, you know, so any one of those could, uh, any one of those could catch me. Um, I would say the one that I would mo that I would most, uh, like to avoid, uh, the one I would least like on my trail is the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, Jace Pearson in particular, but I, I, I'm sold on the idea that you just do not want to mess with these guys. And, uh, I think, you know, it's like, I, I would be caught by any, uh, any detective pretty much, but I would be caught by the Texas Rangers more. So absolutely would not want them, would not want, uh, Jace Pearson in particular on my tail. In terms of who I could get away from, gosh, not really any of them. I mean, if they had a bad day, sure. I'd like to say that I might get away from Philo Vance, but he does seem to have luck, uh, even if his deductions and methods can be off at times. I mean, these guys on the podcast, they always get their man. But I could not get away from any of them. And as I said, I could not get away from Barney Fife. I might, okay, here's one I might get away from. Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. Because here's the thing. I am clumsy. I'm a bad liar. I'm conspicuous. And on top of that, I'm a nervous, anxious sort. So nearly any honest detective could uh, catch me. But Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard is corrupt. He gets tied into Boss Hogg's vendetta against the Duke boys. And so whatever I ended up doing, no matter how clumsily or badly, there would be an effort of Boss Hogg to frame the Duke boys. And if uh, they're dedicated to framing the Duke boys, I think I might be able to make it out of the uh, county uh, line and at least not get captured by the sheriff. However, by the end of the show, Bo and Luke would have cleared their name and somehow or another, even if it meant violating their parole, they would catch me and uh, turn me into justice because kids, the message is that crime does not pay, particularly if you're me. I would evade Roscoe P. Coltrane. I mean, seriously, how embarrassing is it it when you are caught by him it's one thing when the duke boys hand you over and he starts acting all tough and macho like he uh, was the one who caught you but if you actually legitimately get outsmarted by him okay that would never happen maybe if i was in hazard county when those substitute dukes were on i I might actually get clean away i guess crime doesn't pay unless maybe when the People who are actually competent there in contract disputes? Even still, probably not. Uh, Okay, well, thanks so much for the question, Derek. And now it is time to thank our Patreon supporters of the day. And we are celebrating Patreon supporters who have been supporting us for uh, six years this month. And I want to thank Jeremy. Uh, supporting us at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. And I want to thank Mimi, uh, Doc, and Joshua, all supporting us at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, uh, Patreon supporters for the last six years really do uh, appreciate your support. And uh, that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this uh, podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, mark the notification bell, and we will be back next Tuesday. We're bringing you Mr. Chameleon and revisiting that series we did a few years ago. 
And next Friday, we'll be back with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Coming up tomorrow, it's time to go out and find out what the criminal version of me's worst nightmares up to as we listen to Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Jace, am I glad to see you. Howdy, Sheriff. It's been a long time. Yeah, a month of Sundays. I hope I didn't call you down here for nothing, Jace, but this looks mighty fishy to me. So I want you to take a look at the body. Hasn't been taken down yet? No, I put in a call to the coroner, but he was out somewhere. I left a message for him to come out here as soon as they could locate him. How'd you find out about the body, Sheriff? I got a phone call, Jace, about 9.15. Said it was George Hawks and he was going to kill himself. I thought maybe it was some joker, so I traced the call. And? It came from here, all right. So I drove out fast as I could, but George was dead. Hanging by the neck in the barn. No pulse. Body's still warm. Sheriff, I know you didn't call me down here to investigate a routine suicide. What's the catch? Well, I'm getting to that. Come in the barn. This is just the way he was when I found him. You notice that's a wire he's hanging from, not a rope. Yeah. Cut off the clothesline, probably. How do you know? Guessed. I saw the clothesline had been cut, part of a dragon on the ground in the yard. <laughs> you rangers don't miss much, do you? Not if we can help it, Sheriff. Well, I want to show you something I found. Look at this, right under the body. Mm, it's an oil drum. Right. And the exact position I found it in, on its side. Now you'll notice, Jace, that... It's the only thing near enough that George could have stood on while he put the wire around his neck. Here's the rim marks where it stood on the straw before it was tipped over. Yeah, only he didn't stand on it. Look at this end of the drum. Thick with dust. Hmm. Now look at the other end. Dusty, too. Jace is not a sign of a footprint on either end of this oil drum. You're right, Sheriff. He couldn't have climbed up in the loft and jumped, or that wire would have taken his head off. Yeah, that's what I figured, and that's why I called you. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.